So we want to start off by spending some time on uh, the readings from the morning. So right out of, right out of the bat this morning, uh, we had a story about a garden, a story about a vineyard, and then a story about a tree. So let's focus a little bit about the, the fig tree. And I know it's a story we've heard a lot, but we're going to try to focus on some of the other lessons that we can learn from the fathers um, and how the story of the fig tree is, is very, very rich in our, in our um, Coptic tradition. Um, and when we, when we start with the basic superficial part of the story, we know about, you know, through, through, the, through all of the readings today, we see this whole focus on the leaves versus the fruit, the appearances versus the actions, right? And we know that there is a big distinction here. This is all that Jesus spent his time on in the last few readings, telling the Pharisees, you have an outward look, and then what I, when I look inside, I see something completely different. What did he call them? He called them um, whitewashed tombs, but in the inside, it's full of bones. Um, he went to the temple. The temple was beautiful on the outside, but what was in it? People who were selling, um, selling and buying doves and, and money changers, uh, wickedness and corruption. He went to Jerusalem and he saw the beautiful city that should have been meant for God, but was not what it seemed on the outside. So, so that sort of hypocrisy theme we, we understand. But let's, let's dive a little bit deeper into the story of the fig tree and how it ties in with some of the other, um, some, some of the other traditions of the church. Um, and and uh, bear with me because I had to learn a lot about farming to, to be able to talk to you. So there's, a lot of, there's a lot of things about, uh, about a fig tree that I didn't know that now I know. So. Um, so, so why don't we start off with um, why, why a fig tree, right? Could have been any number of trees that Christ walked by and he saw the fig tree and why why a fig tree? So let's let's focus a little bit on this. Um, the gospel starts off today and says, Now the next day, when they had come out of Bethany, he was hungry. Okay, so let's let's put the fig tree aside for now and, and maybe focus on the words of the, the gospel that says he was he was hungry. Um, some of the fathers of the church meditate on this and say, well, where, where was Jesus coming from? If he was coming from Bethany, who, who lived in Bethany? Lazarus. Lazarus. Lazarus lived in Bethany. And Lazarus had two sisters. And we know Mary and Martha. One of them was obsessed with what? Making sure that everybody was fed, the house was taken care of, everything was in order for the guests. So they, they, the fathers of the church think about this and say, if he's leaving Lazarus' house, how could he be hungry? We know that Martha would have fed him, right? So what was he, what was he really hungry for? Um, so we see that Christ walks and he says he's hungry. So what does this really mean? Well, we know, we know Christ was fully human and he was hungry in, in the story of the temptation, he was actually hungry after fasting. Um, but let's, let's recall the story of the Samaritan woman. 
And we know with the story of the Samaritan woman, he sat at the well and he told the woman that he was thirsty and to bring him some water. We know the whole story. We won't go through it. But in the end, he didn't get the water. He didn't get food. But when his disciples came back with the food, what did he say? He said, I don't need this food anymore. I was hungry, but now I've been filled. And, and they, they were very confused. And they said, um, they said his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat. And, and he said, I have had food to eat that no one knows nothing about. Then his disciples said to him further, could someone have brought him food? And he said plainly to them, my food is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. So we see this hunger of Christ comes in two, two different directions. There's the hunger like our hunger, but there's the hunger of Christ that we hear also in the Gospels today. How many times did I want to bring you, O Jerusalem, like a, like a hen gathers its chicks? You, you don't want to. I want this and you don't want it. I am hungry for this. I want the will of God. I was hungry for the figs when I walked by them. So this hunger is different from our hunger. Um, and it's, it's a hunger for God's will. So let's, let's go back to the story. And seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves, he went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. In response, Jesus said to it, let no one eat from you ever again. And I, and I think, again, we know the lesson about the leaves versus the fruit, the substance, what's, what's on the outside versus what's on the inside. So it's very clear that the church is telling us at the beginning of this week of holy, of, uh, this holy week of, of ours, Let's make sure that we're here in church. What we look like while we're here in church doesn't matter. What's coming out, where are the fruits when Christ comes? And you even see also the last few Gospels focused on the end of the world. When is Christ going to come to pluck that fruit? Nobody knows. Nobody knows when he's going to be hungry and when he's going to pass by. But when he does pass by, make sure that that fruit is there. So, so what's, let's go back to the question I had earlier. What's the fig, significance of the fig tree? Of all the fruits in the world, why a fig tree? Well, let's go back to the very first reading of this morning, which takes us all the way back to the beginning. And it starts with, in the beginning, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created heaven and earth. Um, and we see that if you keep reading... He didn't have any problem with trees, right? He created the trees. He created the trees, in fact, on the third day. And he said, let earth bring forth herbs of grass, bearing seed, according to the kind and likeness. It's, it's kind and likeness. Let the fruit tree bear fruit. So all, all the way back to the very first, first instance of creation, he's saying, I'm going to create these trees, but the fruit tree must bear fruit. Okay. Um, it was so thus the earth brought forth herbs of grass bearing seed according to its kind and likeness. The fruit tree bore fruit whose seed is in itself according to its kind on earth. God saw that it was good. 
So from the very beginning, we see this focus on fruit. There needs these trees. I'm going to create them. I'm not, you know, why would he create something and then curse it? But there was a condition in creating these fruit trees that they give fruit. Then a few days later, we see that God moves on to something bigger and better. He made man in the image of God. He made him male and female. He made them. Then God blessed them. And what did God say to them? Same thing he said to the fruit, to the trees. Be fruitful and multiply. Again, a focus on this fruit. Once again, we see that God looks at it and he doesn't say that it's just good. It's very good. So he's very happy with what he created. And again, there's these two conditions. I'm going to create the tree, but it's going to be fruitful on, on the condition that it's fruitful. I'm going to create the man and the woman as long as they are fruitful. And I know that it says here, we, we would say, well, fruitful just means that they're going to procreate. Well, it says fruitful and multiply, right? So yes, it does mean that. But when we look back after all of the other things we see, we know that that fruit, fruitfulness could, could mean something else as well. So, so what happened after Adam and Eve disobeyed God's commandments? The Bible says, the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. So the, the church fathers contemplate on two things. How did they not know that they were naked already? They were naked. Um, but what, what does this nakedness mean? And the church fathers say, yes, they were naked and maybe they didn't realize that they weren't wearing any clothes. But really what happened was there was a disconnection from God. That wire that connected them to God was disconnected. And all of a sudden, now they realized they were not only naked physically, but they were naked spiritually. They weren't covered with God's grace anymore. This disobedience caused the nakedness. The church fathers also say, where did, where did this idea of covering themselves all of a sudden with fig leaves come from? Well, the one who gave them the idea to eat is going to be the one who gives them the idea to try to cover their sin. And we see it all the time. When we make a mistake, we go out and then we try to make it, make it better by lying about it, by covering it. And the, the, you know, the, the joke was, well, that was probably the biggest leaf that was there and would, would, would cover the most. So they, the, 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 the devil said, well, take these leaves and cover yourself so, so that you can, um, you, you can uh, stand in front of God. So after they sinned, they heard, the, they heard the voice of God. And what's the first thing God said to them? He didn't say, what have you got yourself into? Like when we find our kids that have gotten into something and we say, what, what have you done? He said, he said, where are you? And it's, it's very interesting that when we're here in the liturgy, before we start to get into the holiest part of the liturgy, what does Abuna say? He says, lift up your hearts. And in some translations, he says, where are your hearts? And you can see sort of the same thing. God saying to Adam, where's your heart? Where, where did you go? We were, we were here together, and now all of a sudden, 
you've decided to take your heart somewhere else. Um, because, because also the fathers of the church say, what, was it possible that God didn't know where Adam is? Of course God knew where Adam was. But God was saddened that Adam had decided to move away from him. So, um, so what, what happened next? God cursed the serpent and said to Adam, Cursed is the ground for the sake for thy sake, in sorrow shall you eat in the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall, shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. And then God made coats of skins and clothed them and expelled them from the garden. So what happened here and how do we get back to the fig tree? Well, the fathers of the church say, the first Adam sinned and tried to cover his sin with the fig leaf. So you can already see the role of the tree from the very from the very beginning. Because of this, though, the second Adam cursed the fig tree, and when he when Jesus walked by and he saw that this tree had no um, had no fruit, he also remembered that this was the tree that Adam used that that Satan encouraged Adam to cover his sin, and he cursed it. He cursed these leaves. Not all fi all fig trees. But we'll see also the, the importance of the fruit being there. So he cursed the fig tree, a symbol of sin and hypocrisy, and through a different tree, which is the cross of, of Jesus, he raised up and reconciled Adam to God again. So we, we also see at this, at this point that God made it very clear to them, Adam and Eve, that the nonsense that they had done with the, with the fig leaves was not going to work. There's no way you're going to be comfortable and cover yourself with fig leaves. So what did he do? He went and got them the skins of animals. Again, what does the skins of animals point to? Something had to die for those skins, right? In, in order for those skins to cover Adam temporarily, an animal had to die until Christ himself, the true lamb, died and really covered Adam and reconciled him back again. Um, so St. Cyril of Jerusalem says, The first Adam received the sentence, Cursed is the ground in your labors, thorns and thistles shall it bring to you. To reverse this, the second Adam assumes the thorns, so he took those thorns and put them on his head, that he may cancel the sentence. For this cause also... The second Adam was buried in the earth, that the earth which had been cursed might receive the blessing instead of a curse. We also see the first Adam in the Garden of Eden insisted on his own will. The second Adam in the Garden of Gethsemane prayed, saying, O oh my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. So it's very interesting that the church during this time of Lent, the way that we try to reconcile ourselves with God is to almost do everything the opposite of what Adam did, right? During Lent, we say prayer, fasting, almsgiving. What did Adam do? Adam, Adam didn't communicate with God, and we... We, we want to communicate with God. So he didn't pray. We want to pray. Adam couldn't fast from 
the fruit, we, we are fasting. Adam took for himself. We want to give to others selflessly. So the church is pointing us to all the things, reversing all those things that Adam did to try to get back to that first state once again of the Garden of Eden. But the question comes, why is he being so hard on this poor tree? It just happened to be a tree that he walked by and it didn't have any leaves. So what's the big deal? Why, why curse the whole tree and have it wither immediately? So the one thing we don't want to walk away from this thinking is that God is vengeful, right? God doesn't go and say, I wanted fruit. You didn't have fruit. So I curse you. That's not, that's not how God works. God does everything out of love. And he is merciful. And the gospel says it wasn't even the season of figs. So this is where my research had to come in about Palestinian figs, if you're, if you're interested. Is it, it actually turns out that the normal habit of the fig tree is that the fruit buds at the same time as the leaves. So the fruit starts, the leaf buds, and, and the fruit buds behind it so that the leaf can shadow it and it doesn't get burned by the sun. So what happens? This tree was a bit tricky because it, all the leaves came out, but there was nothing behind it. Even it, though it wasn't the season for fruit, it wasn't the season for the leaves either. So this tree went out of its way to deceive. It went out of its way to show the outward appearance of fruit. There was nothing there. So now we can start to see a little bit more about our lives and the things we do to go out of our ways to deceive or to show, show everybody that we are good. Uh, and then when Christ comes and looks behind the leaves, there's, there's nothing there. St. Augustine says, this is how God is teaching us a lesson. Not that, just he not, not that he just wants to inflict punishment on the tree, but to make us aware of what will happen if Christ comes to, to you when he's hungered and we have nothing to offer. So that you might strive to be enriched with fruit rather to be overshadowed with leaves. So, so what is this fruit? that God keeps talking about? What, what is this fruit that he wants from us? Um, what, what are the figs that we're going to give him? Um, St. Augustine, again, points us back to Galatians, the, the letter of St. Paul to Galatians, where he talks about the, the spirit, the, the fruits of the spirit, right? We all know the fruits of the spirit, love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And we see that a lot of these fruits as we call them, they're external fruits. They're things that we give of ourselves to others. Just like the fruit that doesn't, doesn't create itself, the tree doesn't create the, the, the fruit for its own good. It creates it and someone comes and plucks it and, and benefits from it. Same thing with the spirits, uh, the fruits of the spirit. These are things that we give, we give others and those are in giving them to others, we're giving them to Christ. So how do, we, how do we get these fruits? On the eve of Friday, we'll hear Christ tell us and tell the disciples after the Eucharist meal, 
and washing their feet, he's going to tell them, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. And then he says, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. So how do we bear the fruit? Two, two ways in this, in this formula that he just gave us. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. So if we're listening to the word that God gives us, we will be clean immediately. But there's a second part. The second part is abide in me and I in you. How do we do that? He already said, I'm the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. So all vines come out of Christ. Some bear fruit, some do not bear fruit. All vines are in God. They're all, they're, they're all open. They're all capable of bearing fruit. It's just, do they want to bear fruit? Will we bear fruit? You, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. Abide in me and I in you happens here in, in the liturgy. When we take Christ, we give to Christ and he gives to us. And in the end, we are one. We're one body. He abides in us and we abide in him. The, the second formula that we see about how to bear this fruit comes from, from King David in the very first psalm. He says, Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he does meditate day and night. So the formula is don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly, don't stand with the sinners, and don't sit with the scornful. You can see walk, stand, sit. You're getting much more and more comfortable with with company that is going to be detrimental. But delight in the law, but he delights in the law of the Lord, and in his law will he meditate day and night. So don't, don't expose yourself, don't get comfortable with the sinners, but delight in the law of the Lord and meditate day and night. And if you do that, what's going to happen? He says, you will be like the tree which is planted by the streams of the water, and all things whatsoever he may do shall prosper. The, the last thing that I just want to add is that we talked about how to, how to get this fruit, what this fruit is, but there's one last piece, and that is that when Christ told his disciples, I'm the true vine, he also told them, sorry, Jesus also told us that in order to get these fruits, more, he, the, quote, the quote I'm going to give you here, he said, a grain of wheat remains no more than a single grain unless it is dropped into the ground and dies. Only if it does die can it produce many grains. And then he also said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. So this fruit is not going to just, just pop up without any effort. There has to be some tribulation. There has to be some hardship. Only through the experience of pain and suffering are we going to be able to get to the fruit. 
And sometimes we find that when things are good, it's very easy to forget about the, the work that needs to be done. And once the hardship comes, once the suffering, the pain, the sickness, the illness, whatever it may be that comes, all of a sudden we run to, to God. And this is, a, this is a blessed, it's a blessed hardship. And I know sometimes during this, this period, we say, but I'm, but I'm hungry, but I'm, but I'm tired. That hardship is blessed. And Abuna's told the story many times about the monk that walked in, in those steps that that monk took in the efforts that we put, there has to be some hardship in order to, for these fruits to come. So, so let me let me just add one last thing here, and then we'll close out. Why is it important to bear these fruits? Obviously, we don't want the same fate as as the fig tree, right? We hear the story about the fig tree, immediately it was withered away. We hear the story about, I'm the true vine. Every branch that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every, we hear about the, the, other, the other fruits that have been chopped down, cast into the fire. We, we don't want that, right? So we bear fruit for, for that reason. But we also, we also don't do it because we're afraid of that. We do it because we want to offer to Christ. We want to offer to God fruits. Christ tells, tells his disciples also in the same passage where he says, I'm the true vine. He says, by this, my father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. So Christ tells them that when you bear this fruit, it's almost a way of missionary, being a missionary, being an evangelist, because now others will see your fruit and they will know that you are my disciples. But then you think about it and you say, well, well, what? I thought you said we need to do everything in secret. I thought we need to not show off. Well, let's go back to the, the fruit tree, right? The fig pops up behind the leaves. The fig is it, the fruit grows in secret. And you do, you bear that fruit in secret. And the leaves are not important. The fruit is what's important. So yes, we do it in secret. But when they see your good works, they will glorify your Father who is in heaven. It's the same as the no one, no one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. These fruits are important to tell others that we are his disciples. So I think, I think that's, probably, that's probably plenty. We see from there Jesus continues to the temple. We know what he did at the temple. And the next morning he walks by with the disciples and he sees that the fruit the fruit tree has been withered uh withered automatically and the disciples ask him um you know what's what what's happened here and he worries i think that that the disciples might be overly um maybe maybe affected by this that that god was so vengeful that he would immediately kill this tree so what, what does he do when the disciples marveled at the withering of the tree? He gave them what, what's called a formula of faith. And he tells them, you know, the things that you saw in the last 24 hours, you saw me walk by a tree, curse it. Then you saw me go and yell and scream at the, the money traders in the temple. And then we came back and we saw this. If, he, he says, if you follow me, 
you will do you will be able to do more this and more of about about um about cursing the tree but he also uses the example of moving the mountains and telling this tree to go into the sea but he also tells them if they if they have the faith of god he reassures them that this is only the fate of the wicked stay close to me give me fruit and this is only the fate of the wicked because not only do I have to be merciful, but I have to be just. So may the, may the blessings of the Great Lent and the Holy Week help us to bear good fruits so that when our time comes, Christ may find something to, for us to offer to our Lord. And glory be to God forever. Amen.